Cannoli and the Chocolate Factory. A Good Omens multivoice podfic written by Untangled Now. Chapter 9 The mood is understandably somber as they amble back to the trams. There are only two kids left now, after all, with just Crowley and Mark as parental support. He seems to have unexpectedly made friends with the other man, sometime between saving him from falling out of a boat and chatting about sponge unicorns. Adam and Brian look a bit lost without Pepper to add to their conversation or explain things. Not always correctly, but always with an entertaining sort of nod to common sense. Crowley still feels more than a touch guilty that he'd been off having sex with the head of the factory rather than doing his damn job. Or maybe he was really angry that no one else seemed to be putting any actual effort into supervising the kids. To at least make sure that they weren't shoving experimental candy into their mouths the moment everyone looked away. He wanted to say that Pepper was lucky, but he'd heard enough to know that the experience had been far from pleasant. He hopes that whatever Zonka had given her meant there wouldn't be any lingering effects. Still, walking around in the real world, Crowley can't help but wonder how much of that really happened. Because, except for a vague cramp in his calf, likely from sitting in a funny position in the booth, there's no evidence of any of it. Even though he's a hundred percent sure they'd really had sex, he can't feel any of it, not even the phantom imprint of unfairly strong fingers, which he finds himself oddly upset by. He would have liked a reminder, a bruise, or burn from the seat leather. Maybe something in the way of aches in intimate places. But there's nothing. He may actually be the first person to have sex in full virtual reality, and no one is ever going to know about it. More worryingly, Zonka had never gotten in a booth as far as Crowley had seen, yet the Eric had come looking for him in the collection, suggesting the other man didn't need a booth to be there, that he could just be wherever he was needed, maybe at the same time, if Crowley correctly remembers his comment after they all met up again. Also, he doesn't know how long the Eric had been standing there before he'd drawn their attention to him. But knowing Crowley's luck, Eric had probably seen more of him than he'd ever expected, or wanted to. Christ, how does that even work? Does one Eric know everything the other Erics know? Like some sort of vast hive mind? I think we have a little more time before dinner. Perhaps we can squeeze in one more marvellous surprise. I haven't shown you the low gravity room yet. Uh... Maybe something a little less. Mark searches for a word, and squeezing his son's shoulder. Perilous? Oh, the room is very safe. There's very soft padding all the way up to the ceiling, half a mile of it in case of vigorous bumps. 
Zonka gives a little punch to demonstrate. Crowley can feel Adam vibrating next to him, ready to jump in and plead his case for being allowed to fall half a mile in low gravity. Yeah, that's not happening. I have to side with Mark. With three children down, it's starting to feel like a pattern. Mark's nodding. He seems relieved that Crowley had finally said it out loud. Yes, it's lucky that no one has been seriously hurt so far. Maybe we should just play it safe? Songa laughs, as if they are both being party poopers. I told you, no one can come to harm in the factory. It's funny how reassuring he thinks that is. Look, Zonka, even if that's somehow magically true... And Crowley is half-willing to bet it at this point, though fuck knows how. Even if it is true, we're responsible for these kids, and we can't take your word for that. Zonka blinks, as if the very thought had never occurred to him. But this is what you get building a factory with magic and mystery, rather than trusted materials and a rigorous application of safety guidelines. I think we might have different definitions of what constitutes safe as all. Mark is softening the blow, and Crowley knows it. They may feel indestructible some days, but they're still kids. I'm not sure what you... He stops, as if he can't quite manage to finish that. I'm not sure what you are. Crowley knows that's how it was going to end. That even Mark knows Zonka isn't quite human at this point, whether he's willing to say it out loud or not. Even sensible, dependable Mark thinks the man is a candy cryptid. If he's being honest, Crowley had known that when he dragged Zonka into his lap in a classic Bentley and bit down on his ice or sugar scented throat, felt a moan vibrate its way out of him. He'd been so careful when he gripped Crowley, so curious to touch every part of him, as if he was something wonderfully new. Crowley had ignored all the strangeness to kiss him back to press him down in the seats while he made impossible sounds and broke all the laws of physics around them. Crowley hadn't known for sure how long they spent in the car. Time really hadn't existed in there. But the distraction had still left another one of the kids of the tour for good. Thinking about it now isn't helpful at all, though. I just think it's best if we stick to things which can be viewed from a safe distance, or normal cake ingredients, that sort of thing. Sonka looks briefly disappointed, and Crowley's tempted to point out again that there are three children down, so clearly he hasn't been doing a fantastic job so far. There's a life-sized gingerbread house being built by Eric's. He decides eventually, after a moment's thought. I'm sure they wouldn't mind giving you the grand tour. No large machinery, dizzying heights, or experimental candy and evidence. Just a lot of gingerbread and jam and some licorice windows with sugar glass panes. 
Crowley looks at Mark, who looks back at him. Adam and Brian are desperately trying to get their attention from floor level. But considering how close the both of them have come to disaster already, they are not getting a vote. Sounds relatively safe. Mark decides eventually. If you kids can promise not to wander off. We'll be good. Adam is swearing his most trustworthy face. Crowley's not sure he trusts it. Can we eat parts of the house? Brian asks. No. Mark decides immediately. The important structural sections of the house are clearly marked. Zonka supplies, in a way that he clearly thinks is reassuring. To ensure that the house doesn't collapse while being enjoyed, it's perfectly safe. Crowley resists the urge to suggest that they can eat any part of the house that Zonka is standing next to, since he definitely seems immune to whatever madness is going on at all times in this place. I'm sure there'll be spare bricks or something. Gingerbread window frames that don't fit, gingerbread roof tiles... Uh, something that doesn't involve you actually forging in or around the house. He refuses to go back to Deirdre and tell her that a giant gingerbread wall had fallen on Adam. Yes, definitely. And I'm sure a taste test of the different varieties of gingerbread used in the building process will be enjoyable. It's by the main entrance, which is just a short trip back by boat and... No. Crowley flatly refuses to take that boat anywhere else. That thing gave me a migraine the first time. Granted, it also left him with his head in Zonka's lap, which had led to a lot of other unexpected things. I have to agree with Crowley. I'd rather not travel via the boat again unless we have to. It is rather a long trip back by tram. Songa's frowning in a way that suggests this is an unforeseen problem. Is that because the whole complex is secretly more than two miles wide? All the maps show that it's exactly two miles from one end to the other. Songa says with complete confidence. Crowley will agree that all the maps probably do say that. But he still gives a quick laugh of disbelief, which was echoed by Mark. He's fairly sure at this point that Zonka either can't or isn't allowed to lie. Because they've been on the tram twice now, both times for longer than 25 minutes, and as far as he could tell, going in the same direction. They've travelled a considerable distance today, and Crowley can tell, just by looking around, that there's still a bunch of stuff they haven't seen yet. This place is far bigger than it looks from the outside. Uh, maybe it wouldn't feel like such a long trip. Crowley phrases that carefully, because Zonka clearly likes to, or maybe even has to, maintain plausible deniability about a lot of things. 
Maybe we get distracted, reminiscing about what we've seen, and hey, we're back at the mine mixing rooms again. Who would have thought? Time gets away from you sometimes, that's all. Sonka stares at him for a moment, as if he's trying to puzzle something out, and then he's smiling and ushering them all out of the racetrack and back to where the trams are still parked. The two Eric's dressed in driver uniforms stop playing cards and hurry to pull their hats on. Back to the entrance, if you would, Zonka says breezily to the one on the left. The two Eric's look at each other, and then back to him. It's very obvious that the Eric he'd addressed is asking a silent and rather panicked question. Yes, yes, I'll take care of it, Zonka says with a wave, the movement turning into a gesture toward the tram doors. Everyone inside, then? He doesn't sing this time. He doesn't point out anything outside. Most surprising of all, he doesn't remain standing, but sits himself down next to Crowley. He's close enough that their thighs press together in a way that Crowley feels a little confused and a little hopeful about, though he mentally kicks himself for the latter. He pretends not to notice when the factory itself starts to shift around the road they're travelling on. The buildings are splitting and reforming behind them, machinery rising on tracks to let them pass below. In a way that should be... no, in a way that is completely and utterly impossible. Sonka doesn't appear to be doing anything but his fingers are tap-tapping on the cane, his other hand twitching on the seat. It's so close to Crowley's that their knuckles brush. It doesn't feel like an accident. If I asked you a question, you probably wouldn't answer it, would you? Crowley tries his best not to add a rising tone to the end of that. He leaves it as a comment that doesn't require an answer. Zonka looks at him sideways, and his expression is somehow both amused and pained at the same time. Please don't. Right. No questions. It feels like the man can distract and twist a question if he needs to, but something about direct questions compels him. Which would go some way to explaining why he's rarely seen in public, and why the questions for every press conference are prepared in advance. The man would never survive in the nosy, obsessive world without a barrier between him and everyone else. It's amazing he agreed to the factory tour at all. All right. No questions. About you or the factory. Their knuckles are still pressed together. Crowley looks across the tram, and where Prine and Adam are in deep conversation. Mark is still looking out of the window, 
at whatever impossible thing is still happening outside, but he seems to be keeping his disbelief and his questions to himself. Are we going to talk about what happened? The brush of knuckles briefly becomes a press, though Crowley couldn't say which one of them did it. Sonka's hand goes still, but doesn't move away. He doesn't say anything, though, infuriating man that he is. Or are you going to pretend that none of it happened? Did any of it happen? Or was it just a VR fever dream? You never got into a booth, after all. You could say no. You could tell me it was all pretend. Maybe stick the inconvenient crush where you don't have to acknowledge it in the real world. <laughs> the hand on the seat moves then. Zonka's soft fingers uncurling and sliding over his own, gripping them until Crowley's knuckles feel it. No, never. You are the sharpest, most intractable, abrasive man I have ever met. Crowley can't resist a smile, because Zonka is squeezing his fingers on every word. <laughs> Why, thank you. But you are also loyal, honest, protective, and encouraging. That's uncalled for. You're going to ruin my reputation. I'd wager you have no reputation to ruin. I doubt you let people look hard enough. Is that what you do? Look at people? Crowley doesn't mean to make that a question, but Zonka doesn't punish him for it. Something like that, yes. Crowley is a little offended by the idea, but he hasn't let go of Zonka's hand. The man is rubbing the back of his knuckles with a thumb now. It's such a simple, easy gesture of affection and reassurance. Crowley can't remember the last time anyone wanted to reassure him. He's not sure he knows how to let go anymore. They are both idiots. What are they even doing? Crowley, I find you uniquely delightful. From the moment I met you, I knew I wanted to be friends with you, to know more about you and what fascinating things you had to share. I confess, things are rarely difficult for me, but you proved yourself persistent, and at every turn you surprised me further until I found myself wanting to show off for you a little. And then I did something very silly and very selfish. A slight movement of Zonka's fingers captures all of Crowley's between them. I didn't expect you to follow me, especially not after it became obvious how different we are. But I'm very glad that you did. There are... Far too many words there to reply to, but all of them combined has the confused, angry thing in Crowley's chest finally unwinding and settling. You do silly things all the time, he points out, and his voice comes out softer than he expects. Kaisen Point, your whole factory. Sonka opens and closes his mouth for a moment before giving in.
I'll allow you that. So, you think you've got me all worked out now, then? That comes out more amuse than anything else. The idea that Zonka has been finding him just as distracting, trying to puzzle Crowley out, why Crowley did the same to him. That's definitely something. Oh, I don't know if I'd say that. Gave me a proper going over. Crowley can't resist now, because he knew what the blush looks like above that ridiculous bow tie, and part of him wants to see it again. I don't normally... Definitely had you singing my prizes. Crowley finishes, barely low enough for Zonka to even hear. But he does, Red creeping up his throat. He doesn't think anyone has ever teased the man before. He might be the first. He might be the first for a lot of things. Most people find me off-putting after a period of extended company. Saying it out loud clearly pains him. Crowley gets the impression Zonka has tried so very hard to be liked. Probably too hard, to be honest. I found you off-putting immediately. You've grown on me. He expects Zonka to fuss over that, but instead she tilts his head towards him with the most delighted look on his face and Crowley is an inch away from kissing him on a bus in front of his nephew, and a man he barely knows. Adam picks that exact moment to look over at him, to see Zonka's stupidly charmed expression, and Crowley's weird half-lean that probably isn't as suggestive as he thinks it is, but is still pretty fucking damning. It's only the rise of Zonka's legs that stops Adam from seeing the fact that they're holding hands. Nothing about today has been normal, least of all Zira Zonka. Crowley's known the man seven hours in real time, hated him for half of them, and already had sex with him. Now he's wondering if he's ever going to see him again after today, and feeling unexpectedly complicated about it. The factory really is the land of mysteries and wonders. Only seeing half the picture doesn't seem to help to make their positions less incriminating, though. Adam's eyes widen, and Crowley sees him shape out the words, What are you doing? before Crowley leans back in his seat and pretends to be a grumpy bastard. He's pretty good at it. He's had a lot of practice. They are still holding hands. I don't know what I'm doing. People don't normally... Uh, I can be... difficult. I'm not sure I've ever been described as anything else. I rather like you prickly and sarcastic and determined not to have fun at someone else's behest. Isn't that what you're about? Having fun? Making fun? Whether people like it or not? 
oh, not the last, never the last. But I would like to see what you would find fun. I have an imagination, and I rarely have the opportunity to handcraft something special. I, I could... I'm sure there would be something that you'd like. Something that would make you happy. Crowley feels awkward, because, weird magic or not, you don't just ask someone you'd known a few hours to build a whole attraction for you. I don't... Yet again, he's lost for an ending for that sentence. He shakes his head instead. He should probably stop holding Zonka's hand. But it's not until they pull in beneath the familiar sign that Zonka reluctantly slips his fingers free and elegantly stretches his body upwards to stand in the aisle. My most treasured guests, the giant gingerbread house awaits. Is it all really edible? Brian wants to know. All of it? Windows and furniture and the walls and everything? It is. The light bulbs, too? Adam adds, as if he's trying to catch him out. Made from glowing sugar. Every spot of it is perfectly edible, and you are most welcome to taste test the foundations, decorations, fixtures, and fittings. He has to slide out of the way for the last two words, because Brian tumbles past him and out of the tram, his father hurrying after him, telling him to stay by the Eriks and not to touch anything that they didn't first. Zonka gives Crowley one last, lingering look, and then disappears off the tram, too. Crowley sighs when Adam flops down next to him, with a pointed sort of energy, peering up at him with an expression he really doesn't want to talk to. Are you flirting with Zonka? No. That isn't quite a lie. He sat next to you. He smiled at you. He's a smiley man, isn't he? Smiles at everyone. You didn't like him, and now you do. I'm not an idiot. No, you're not. Zonka's fine. People are allowed to be weird. He's very weird, but very cool, and you were holding his hand. Adam says that last part triumphantly. Like an accusation. Crowley hates that he can't just brush it off. He only has one reputation, and he doesn't feel like tossing it away. Not for this. No rules against it. Adam seems to think this counts as evidence against him. I can't wait to tell Mum you flirted with Zonka and he let you. Honestly. Deirdre knows too much about his sad love life already for that to in any way surprise her. Though she'd probably find the fact that Crowley was aiming so far out of his league amusing. And a bit sad. I didn't flirt with him. Is he really magic? Did he tell you? Did you see? Crowley puts his jacket back on. You saw the park moving when we came back, right? 
Yeah, it was very cool, the way the buildings transformed like giant robots. Transformers. <laughs> Crowley mutters under his breath and can't help but laugh. So, yeah, maybe. Probably. Well, I guess he's not like us, either way. Adam quietly takes that in, fiddling with the straps on his back, and Crowley can tell there's more. What is it? Brian saw himself by the racetrack while we were waiting for them to change the tyres. He looks up at Crowley, as if he's waiting for him to question it. When he just gives him a curious look, Adam continues. He said that the other him was wearing the same clothes as him and just standing by the track, waving at him and smiling. He said it looked exactly like him, but it wasn't him. Crowley could do without the creepy feeling that leaves down the back of his neck. He didn't follow him, though? No, he said I may be dumb sometimes, but I'm not stupid. Sounds like a smart decision. That's what Pepper said. Eric said they're sort of like glitches in the code, like when you fall outside the map and there are things there that shouldn't be there. But that it was okay, because Zonka could tell which ones are really us. Crowley wonders if that helped. It certainly doesn't help him, the thought of the kids being watched by creepy versions of themselves that's going to stick with them. I suppose they'll have them all ironed out in the final version. But you had fun on the track? Adam is successfully distracted. So much. So much. Did you see the big race? I came second and they're going to make a medal for me to take home since I couldn't keep the virtual one. I'm probably a better driver than that now. <laughs> He'll probably still want to give you a few pointers, though. Learning to drive with Arthur Young. He can almost picture the man spending three hours explaining exactly how everything worked before they went five feet. Crowley shouldn't be such a dick. He's done a good job. He can't deny that Adam's pretty great. Yeah, it's probably different in the real world. More stuff to remember. Roundabouts and things. <laughs> and no Eric as co-driver, either. Adam's laughing when they get all their stuff together, head down and follow the others out onto the sunny pavement, where an actual neighbourhood appears to be in the process of being built. Brian and Mark are ahead of them on the finished street, marvelling at a three-storey house in the distance still having its roof craned on. Brian already has a mouthful of what looks like garden gnome, but it breaks like a seaside rock. So are you going to come back here and see Zonka afterwards? Adam seems to be trying very hard not to sway Crowley either way. No, I don't think so. Crowley offers honestly, because he can't imagine that ever working out. We don't really have anything in common. Crowley's not a huge fan of sweets, either. What would they talk about? Adam's frowning again, as if his brain is trying to work out some way to fix Crowley's problem. 
when there isn't one. Everything is fine. The last thing he needs is an 11-year-old trying to help him with this. Go eat some gingerbread house with your friend. And don't forget to ask the rest for their phone numbers later, if you want to chat again. Even Warlock? Crawley can't stop his lip from curling, but he shrugs. It's up to you. The kid could use some friends, though, and you've always been good at that. Better than anyone else I've met. Crowley takes Adam's backpack and bags so he can go climb garden fences and investigate rock pools full of fizzy and the impossible fish that live in them. They are probably not made of sponge cake, these ones, or they get soggy. The supervision is a bit more obvious this time. It's hard for either of them to miss that it's just the two of them now. Crawley would prefer to get Adam home without having to explain how he fell off a gingerbread roof but miraculously escaped harm because Zonka doesn't let people get hurt in his factory. Even if thinking about what Deirdre would say to that makes him feel like a bad uncle. He breaks off a bit of garden fence and discovers that it's white chocolate with raspberry wafers inside. He's more of a licorice and mint chocolate fan, but it seems a waste to come here and not try anything. He puts it in his mouth. It's not awful, a bit oversweet, but not being overloaded on sugar already helps with the slightly sickly aftertaste. Zonka is currently explaining something to Mark, but Crowley is too far away to hear. He watches Brian and Adam randomly tasting things in the garden, like some sort of surreal adventure, because nothing looks like it should be eaten. Still, when in Rome, he eats a bit more garden fence, to the sound of laughter and feet running through grass that smells like apples. Mark laughs at something Zonka says, so Crowley thinks maybe he's gotten over his realization that they're in some sort of impossible magical fantasy land just outside London that shouldn't exist. Mark seems bearable. Crowley hasn't made a new friend in a while. He's not entirely sure he remembers how, but he knows it's a thing that normal people do. It's a thing adults do even, though it always seems tougher than when you're kids. You just sort of velcro themselves together ten minutes after being introduced. Case in point, Adam and... He isn't entirely sure where Brian went. They'd both gone dashing into the house a minute ago. Adam came out to gather up the small rocks by the side of the pond, popping them in his mouth one by one with not a care in the world. Crowley shuffles a bit further along the fence until Adam can see him. The expression he's wearing when they lock eyes isn't reassuring. Where's Brian? He asks, because he knows Adam's vaguely guilty look, 
if only because he'd seen it so many times today. The boy shrugs with all the theatrical ability he possesses. Don't know. You went into the house with him five minutes ago. Adam looks behind him at the house they just left, and then sideways to the gingerbread post box the Eriks have just finished craning a lid onto. It's the most obvious and least innocent look Crowley has ever seen from him. Ah, didn't your mother ever tell you about the whole horrifying fridge period in the 80s and 90s? The comparison isn't lost on Adam, whether that's something he lived through or not. He wanted to see if he could eat his way out. Adam explains, as if that was a good reason. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, Crowley tells him, which, considering the day they've both had so far, is really saying something. Crowley whistles sharply at a fretful-looking mark and then gestures at the postbox, which, sure enough, already has small fingers wriggling out of the slot. It's right up there for the most unintentionally hilarious thing Crowley has ever seen, but he won't laugh. It's been a very long day. He's not going to pretend questionable decisions haven't been made by almost everyone. Zonka is gesturing for one of the Eriks to bring the little forklift back to take the lid off. Mark is already passing strong parental disapproval through the only access point. He wanted to hear a song about himself. Adam offers at last, quiet and reluctant, and it's obviously the real truth. Everyone else got one. He thought it would be cool before we left. He wanted the Eriks to sing about him? Crawley doesn't know why he's so surprised. Yeah, he thinks the songs are funny. You realise the singing is some kind of weird stress response from them, right? I'm not sure if they actually even enjoy it. Adam frowns as if the thought hadn't occurred to him. Well, we won't make them sing anymore. This is the last time. I don't need one for me. He doesn't need one. For God's sake, this is ridiculous. Are you sure about that? Because the farewell dinner is coming up, and I'd hate to have to watch you through four courses just in case you choke on something by accident. He doesn't do the air quotes because he doesn't want to get mocked like an old man, but he's feeling them in his head. Adam nods. Yeah, I want to get to the dinner without becoming terrifyingly smart or getting stamped on by horses or falling into any chocolate. I'm so very glad to hear it. Though the unicorns did look kind of fun. Adam! Zonka says we can't get hurt here. Crowley hates that he can't actually dispute that. Even the brief suggestions of existential horror have been neatly packed away behind the curtain again, as if Zonka is capable of not only preventing harm, 
but making it so the suggestion of it never happened at all. Which shouldn't be that comforting, considering Crowley's not sure Zonka actually understands the concept of harm when it comes to people who aren't whatever he is. Still, he doesn't want to bring all of that up in conversation with an 11-year-old. Not because he doesn't think Adam would understand, but because it's not the sort of thing a kid should have in their brain at night. Staring at the ceiling and wondering at the thought processes and motives of dubiously non-human individuals should be an adult's night terrors. That doesn't mean you should get into the habit of reckless nonsense. You realize you can still get hurt outside the factory. In the real world. But he doesn't say that last part. He sort of hates himself for thinking it. It's the real world in here too, no matter how much Zonga has messed with it. I know, I broke my arm once. Adam feels the need to offer his unbroken arm as proof. Oh, I remember. You fell out of a tree trying to get a ball down. Something seems to occur to Adam at a thought. Do you think that is okay? Crowley sighs and rests an arm around his shoulders, reminded suddenly of how small he still is. <sighs> yeah... He probably spent all day boring the doctors to death, talking about trains or something. They might even be home by the time you get back. He could phone and check. Adam fidgets with his pocket for a minute. Yeah, okay, after the song. After the song, of course. How could I forget? Christ, they are not even good songs. The rhymes are awful, the lines are never the same length, and the tunes change halfway through. But he nudges Adam over to the bright red shape everyone is crowding around. He watches Mark push his arm into the slot and gently coax Brian's head down while they start working the top off, gingerbread showering them all. The thing is two inches thick. Crowley's not sure how long it would have taken Brian to eat his way out, but they probably wouldn't have been home before morning. There are Eric's milling around everywhere, and even Zonga has settled onto a section of garden wall, his fancy brown shoes that were probably made a century earlier swinging under him. Crowley watches his fingers tap gently, and wonders absently if he's the one providing music for the Eric's. Maybe they do sing when no one's around. Maybe Zonka doesn't mind too much. He knows when the Eric's appear, because Adam looks up at the roof and points to where a dozen of them are now sitting on the licorice guttering, their legs swinging. They seem entirely unconcerned about the two-story drop beneath them. Crowley's brain chooses to helpfully point out that if no one can come to harm in the factory, then the Eric's are effectively immortal. 
How long has this been going on? All the Eriks look the same age. Do people even age in here? He's knocked out of his thoughts by the pom-pom-pom-pom-pom that starts off in the background, as if Brian is getting his own rescue music, too. Crawley tries to pinpoint it this time, but he still can't tell where the sound is coming from. They're effectively standing in a wide, open neighborhood, and it's just suddenly there. The forklift is now still, the top of the post box popped completely off. Two Eriks lean in and take an arm each, bits of house and garden dropping from every pocket, pouch and fold of clothing. Out you come! They lift him high and he pulls his legs out so they can set him down on the grounds. Thanks, Eriks. Brian's still laughing, and it's clear at this point that Mark doesn't even know whether being possibly entombed in a gingerbread postbox is something he should be annoyed about anymore. The factory has broken them all. Brian's rescuers spin the boy around before they release him completely, and the other Eric's tripped in for the beginning. Everything is edible, we know that it's incredible, we're hard at work to give you all a treat. We know the stuff's delicious, just a little bit nutritious, a pinch of magic lives in every bite. We'll fill it all up every day, a stack that you can take away, new wrappings and new flavors by the back. We don't want a tragic ending, spent so long on sugar blending, we want a perfect flavor for our guests. We're working hard on new temptations and fantastic decorations. Please tell your friends of wonders yet to come. The Eriks all slide in together until they form groups at roof, garden and road. They move back and forth as they sway in time to the music, shoulders bouncing, legs kicking, like they're performing an impromptu can-can. The lyrics come faster now, a joyful exuberance to every line. We work hard inside, yes, we create on tender hooks and salivating, row on endless row of candy trees. Oh, there's plenty here for everyone, we'll tell you when the chocolate's done and every single one melts in your mouth. The gingerbread will last forever, chocolate's good till first of never. We put sell by dates by law, but it's perfect once it leaves through the door. They stop the song briefly to laugh and pet Gingerbread of Brian, who looks sweaty and delighted. Crawley gets the impression they're indulging him. The song has more of a loose, whimsical air than the others had. No quiet notes of judgment. Nothing about how the kid's an idiot for getting himself in trouble. It's surprisingly cheerful, as if the Eriks are singing to all of them. Even as he thinks it, they start to slide down from the house, saunter up the lawn, and climb down from the yellow forklifts. They all get swept up in the wave, Adam and Crowley nudged in, until they're in a circle of singing and dancing Eriks. 
So this is goodbye. It's been a pleasure to meet you. We hope to see you again someday. We'll come right out and greet you. It's been fun. We regret that the party's done. We've enjoyed setting up the events. Take as much as you can eat without compliments. We've learned so much. We had a blast. The time with you, it went so fast. We're glad that you enjoyed our tour. Come back anytime for more. Until then, you will see just one more mystery. Take a left and then go straight. The farewell dinner. Don't be late. They lift their hands and wave before slowly fading back into the gingerbread neighborhood. Bye, Eric's. Bye, Eric's. Thanks. Adam and Brian are waving. Even Mark has lifted a hand and gestured in their direction. Yeah, thanks, Eric's. Crowley says. He feels weird about it. But they've clearly been doing a lot of work during their very long and strange adventure. He's not including the singing. By rights, he probably should. But he just can't make himself. Zonka turns away from the house, his coat flaring around him. He's removed his top edge, the magical curls of his hair glowing in the streetlights, which are flicking on one. Well, you heard the Eric's. Take a left and then go straight. The farewell dinner awaits. To be concluded in Chapter 10.